Yeah, on. Make him say, uh. 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 Yeah. <laughs> uh. Yeah, this P. This P? Yeah, this P. P, let me hear you say, uh. Man, this ain't no mother P. <laughs> Best intro for a song ever, maybe? Have you ever gone back and listened to... Speaking of, you know, Master P, remember the No Limit Soldiers and the No Limit Records thing? Maybe the end of this identity of a record label being a thing and the packaging had a certain distinction. And there were people out there that bought things purely because they were on No Limit Records, you know? Oh, I did. I I remember buying some of that stuff and I like had no idea who the artist was or I just thought. I remember the album covers were very cartoony and then they were like uh, plastic, like that colored plastic. Uh, yeah. The, the spine of the CD case was like riveted and it had yeah. color, you know, different colors in it. You were, yeah, you were a no limit soldier. I would say so. For like two weeks. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, you know, I was into the, uh, certainly the death row thing and uh, actually we're going to, we're going to have one of these in uh my round and round, believe it or not, spoiler alert. But um, yeah, I mean, I was into, you know, I like the West Coast stuff, the East Coast stuff, you know, come on. I, I have to laugh, though, um, because, you know, we're on Zoom when we do this. And, um, you know, we, we basically connect on Zoom and then we get a few other things together and then we hit record and we go. And you know, there's that moment like you're, you know, a lot of people have had meetings and and such with um, Zoom and Teams and WebEx and all this crap. And uh, so there's that moment where like the person pops up, you know, and uh, all of a sudden, you know, Nubs and I were connecting on Zoom to get this going and it popped up and there like mega close up is uh, Nubs's uh, bare uh, buttocks. And, uh, and it was, and it was pretty funny. I must say, so nice one. I just wanted to give you a proper welcome that we, maybe we need to name that move, you know, I'm surprised it's not a move that's more frequently used. Yeah. Well, you know, I, and, and I'm always trying to outdo you. So I, I, now I got to think of something next week. Um, even more so now here's how I tried to do outdo you this week. You had mentioned, uh, during last week's, uh, Nickelback episode you know, that there were some kind of shades of metal music on that record and, um, uh, of which there are, of which there are, but the first thought that jumped into my head was, you know, okay, nub, you want, you want some metal, you know, I'll give you some mother F and metal. And, uh, that's the game plan for today. Well, if you're going to go metal, you know, I think the artist that you chose is not entirely surprising. Cause I, I would speculate that this is your favorite all time metal band, but one that is pretty powerful, right? Like quite memorable. And the thing I really like about the choice is that those who have heard Pantera before 
know exactly the different things that you can explore about this group. Very special group. Those that have never heard Pantera before need to listen to Pantera because it's an experience, you know, and, and unfortunately and incredibly tragically, this band will never be seen live again. But even just hearing their sound, I think it's one of the more stunning bands in music history in terms of when you first hear them. It is that punch to the face, no pun intended because of the album cover that we're exploring, but it really <laughs> does carry a lot of weight when you first hear this band. It's, it's, it's very heavy and uh, leaves an impression. So it'll be nice to share our impressions. So yeah, you know, I went metal with the Slipknot episode and uh, we did Injustice for All. So tonight kind of bridges that gap. You know, this is sort of an in-between band between the Metallica of the 80s that we covered and the Slipknot of the 2000s. This probably is the most important metal band of the 90s, I would say. Part of, uh, I think, the appeal of some of the groups and some of the uh, records that we've gone through on the old podcast here are ones that were sort of genre bending or, or genre inventing. It's a little bit of a debate amongst many um, metal fans uh, as to whether or not Pantera truly invented a genre. And do you know uh, what genre I'm talking about and I speak of today? I do. And I will fully admit that it's, it's only the last year that I've heard this genre, to be honest with you. I didn't even know this existed, but it's called groove metal. I think this gets into the ridiculous labeling that we've always had in popular music, you know, since there tended to be media that covered it. But to me, groove metal is, is getting, it's taking the thing a little too far, right? I mean, it, it's, it's, it's kind of a dumb label for a genre and one that doesn't mm. make a lot of sense to me. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's cool to cite Pantera as a, pioneer in a lot of different ways. So I dig that aspect, but haven't we got a little out of control with the music classifications, you know, when we're starting to call things groove metal and we've got alt metal, we got new metal, we got groove metal, we got, you know, dark metal. Yeah. And new is spelled N U for no reason at all. Right. right, Exactly. Um, You know, I, I'll say this. Um, I think you're right. It's become a little fragmented, but I believe that I, me, T, came up with the phrase groove metal. And I'm going to tell you the story about the time that I think I coined this phrase. And it was actually for a different band at a Pantera show. Huh? Is that crazy or what? Is that a T? Is that, is that, is that a little wild? Are we going to get a little wild today? Tickle them with a feather. That's right. Well, let's get real wild here as we first, before we start telling stories about groove metal, go round and round. I can't roll my tongue. I've never been able to roll my R's and go, but uh, anyway, what's round and round for you, Nub? Uh, Yeah, I can't roll my R's either. Uh, But what I can do is listen to the Doobie Brothers. And uh, the, the mm. Doobies recently put out a CD box called Quadio, which took their original quadraphonic mixes. You know, long before there was 5.1 and surround sound, things were mixed in quad, which is four channels versus stereo, which is two. So it creates this like surround sound sort of thing. And they were able to do this on vinyl back in the day. And it didn't really catch on. 
But the quad mixes are kind of sought after. And so the Doobies did a CD reissue on Blu-ray discs. I guess it's a Blu-ray reissue of their quad mixes for four of their best albums. And one of those albums is What Were Once Vices Are Now Habits, which is probably my favorite Doobies album. It's got a couple of great things on a Blackwater and, and Road Angels, my favorite thing, kind of a rocking track. Second would be the most recent album from John Anderson, the singer of Yes, which is called A Thousand Hands. He released this over the pandemic, has just an endless list of contributing musicians. And clearly the whole thing was done remotely. A Thousand Hands, I think, refers to almost the number of you know people that worked on this particular project and a really great list of, of fantastic musicians that contributed. It's a really good John Anderson solo album. I'm digging it a whole lot. And lastly would be, from uh, 1994, T, I don't know if you remember this. Let's actually, I'll ask you this as a trivia question. The song Bittersweet Symphony by The Verve, mm-hmm. it, it, it eventually got sued and had to give up some royalties because it, it sampled from this particular album. That's my third item of the round round. Do you recall the controversy about this and where it came from? Uh, well, it wasn't it a Rolling Stones song. Yeah. Yeah. You're on the right track for sure. So was it the uh, one with the animal head on it? <laughs> Goat's head soup. Goat's head soup. Was it that? Yeah, it was not, but you're, you're totally yeah. on the right track. You're thinking too deeply about it. Actually. It's from symphonic music of the Rolling Stones. Oh, which, that's right. That's yeah. Right. Which in 1994, that was kind of the first true crack, at least in a mainstream way of a symphony performing songs of a rock band. And it was a big deal. If you remember, it came out in like a black digipack case. And it was, it sold really well. And that's where the Verve ripped off the, the bit for Bittersweet Symphony. And so I picked up a used copy just wanting to kind of see what this thing was all about. And it's really nice. It's, a, it's got some nice orchestral renditions of Rolling Stones songs. And it was a nice nostalgic thing. Because if I remember right, I bought it back in the day and then put it in the for sale bin, as we say here on Two Twins in an Album, and haven't thought about it for you know the ensuing several decades. And so kind of a fun rediscovery of symphonic music of the Rolling Stones. So that's what's running around for BT. What is uh, on your turntable right now? Very good. Well, I have a um, past album of the year of, uh, of my own, which is um, Sailing the Seas of Cheese by the great Primus. And uh, still think it's their best record top to bottom, you know, and, and they put out some good stuff. Love Brown album. Uh, pork soda was okay. Frizzle fry, pretty good. Some of their later stuff, decent, but, uh, seas of cheese still, I think top to bottom where it's at for them, them at their, at their rawest. And they did a little groove as well. Speaking of groove, the second is uh, a little easy E doing a little easy. Does it listen, you know, the sun's coming out. It's starting to maybe become, uh, the season to go out on the lawn and chuck a few bags and do all that kind of fun stuff and uh, Easy E, always a great soundtrack for that. And the last, uh, something completely different is this old country band that I once liked called the Blackhawk. And I just was like, I don't know, like, was that like crappy, poppy country? Or I was like in high school or was it actually pretty good? Is there and such went, thing as good country or is, oh, I thought it was on. all crappy? Oh, come on, please. And it's pretty crappy poppy but it was a nice nostalgic revisit i gotta say i i you know blackhawk pretty good country group i don't know what the hell ever happened to them but uh that is what is uh uh round and round uh for me i do remember my uh sheer disappointment when you would 
play that quite frequently. But what was amazing about UT and one of the things I'll always love about you is, you know, you listen to that and then immediately put in October Rust by Typo Negative, you know? And even choosing tonight's band is, it, you kind of redeem yourself from this country thing that you seemed to go through at a certain time of your formative years. Listen, don't judge me, okay? <laughs> don't judge me. No, but I, I think, you know, it's, uh, it's an interesting point you made early on here about um, the importance of this band. And, you know, most within the rock or metal world, I think at some point have come to appreciate uh, what Pantera was doing, whether it was later, whether it was right from Cowboys from Hell, which is deemed basically a metal classic. And, and sort of an innovative approach to this, I will say groove metal. And I did invent that, by the way. I'll explain that in a second. But for now, I think what we're going to do is focus on what most people think is their second album. Um, but it's actually their sixth. It's the uh, second one that people actually listened to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know. And with that said, since people actually did listen to it, and hopefully people are actually listening to us. Let's get into the nerdy deets. You want some dirty deets? Yeah. You want some dirty deets? Vulgar Display of Power was released on February 25th, 1992. It was recorded in Texas by the metal band that started in Texas, which isn't terribly surprising when you learn more and more about these fellas, and that band is Pantera. It comes two years after their true breakthrough album, Cowboys from Hell, which contained certainly some Pantera classics, but even to the casual listener, some things that you just really hadn't heard before. You know, a song like Cemetery Gates, um, something like The Art of Shredding, you know, an opener like the title track. You just kind of hadn't heard this sound before. You know, we talked about it a little bit on the Faith No More episode, Nub. And I asked the question, what year would you guess that Faith No More started as a band? You know, of course, you being of abnormal musical knowledge, you were, you were still a little late, but you were close. So I will ask you that same question about this band. What year would you guess? that Pantera formed. So I, I actually kind of like, you know, I'm like the only one, but I I'm fascinated by and enjoy the the first few Pantera albums. You know, I just, it, it helps explain the band's story. And we've talked before about how two twins in an album, uh, we kind of like bands that have had different lives, you know, in that first life, those first four albums were drastically different from what we eventually heard from Pantera. So I, so I have some familiarity. I do know the first album, came out in, in like 83. So based on that, I mean, I would just take a guess that, you know, maybe the band was together for four years before that album came out. So I would guess 79. Okay. What do you think like a normal person would guess on this? I'll tell you what I would guess because, you know, I knew on the fringes that these guys had a phase before Phil joined the band and before they went in this metal direction. But I still sure as hell would not have guessed 1981. So, you know, that's when Pantera formed. And, you know, I, I would love for you to weigh in on the, on the early records because I don't know them that well. Quite honestly, I'm sort of one of those like Cowboys from Hell was the debut types. 
Um, but they were like a glam metal band. In fact, Dimebag Daryl back then was called Diamond Daryl. Uh, so, so even the rebranding sort of, uh, an evolution, I guess, of this band, uh, got to the point where they called themselves different things, but was it glammy? Was it still metal? Was it kind of hair metal? I mean, where would you put the, the early work from these guys and, and how do you think it, it either did or did not shape what they eventually became more around this era? So when I think glam metal, again, here we go with the the ridiculousness of classification terms. When I think glam metal, I think poison and they were much heavier than poison, much more so. You know, most people, if you, if you were kind of saying, what did those early records sound like to those kind of in the know, you might say it's cock rock, you know, kind of like early eighties, huge, thick production, shotgun, snare drum sound. But I actually think if you look back and listen to those records, which I recommend to people just to hear the fascination of this band's development, to me, the major difference is, is, is really in production more than composition. I mean, they were doing things with different tempos and um, Phil's voice is different, but it, it you know, doesn't sound incredibly different. Well, Phil wasn't on what the first three, four, was the first two. Oh, I thought it was just the first two. Yeah. So, so he, now he did come on before Cowboys from Hell. I'm not sure if it was run one or two records before, but even going back before Phil, I mean, was that a, was that a similar vocal or was that a completely more hair metal cock rock type vocal? It was, it was actually quite similar. Honestly, it wasn't that different. And, you know, it's more, a little more speed metal, if you will, a lot of double kick runs and things like that on the drums, but it'd, it'd be more like cock rock kind of long hair, LA sort of rock versus obviously what they turned into with the, the, the sort of overly crunch guitar and the things that you saw in Cowboys from Hell. So. It's a really interesting listen. I mean, it's still a good band and you can see why as the nineties came, they morphed into this different life, but it, it sounds a lot more like what you think of early eighties metal than what Pantera turned into for sure. But it's still distinct. You know, I, I wouldn't just say it sounds like poison or it sounds like anything like that. It, it sounds like Pantera, just a very, very early form of it. Yeah, well, that's interesting. And, and obviously, um, you know, uh, sounds worthwhile to go back and revisit those things. Now, 1990s Cowboys from Hell really put the band on the map. And um, the personnel does have quite a bit to do with that, even though three members stayed very constant, but the singer changed, the attitude changed, to some extent, the sort of branding and approach of the band changed. So let's dig in a little bit on the, on the band members. Uh, I mentioned uh, Diamond Daryl, they first called him, but then of course became Dimebag Daryl. That's Daryl Abbott, you know, who became one of the best, most influential, most uh, renowned metal guitar players um, ever. I'm sure their early work was interesting, but this work on Cowboys from Hell in Vulgar Display, and then the album that followed, which was hugely successful, that was Far Beyond Driven, you know, that really took Pantera from this you know, kind of speed metal, almost glamish metal act of the eighties into a very, very powerful, important force in the nineties. His brother, you know, Vinnie Abbott, but went by Vinnie Paul, uh, which is his middle name was the uh, drummer of the band. So you had brothers, um, which we can appreciate. And I'll tell you what, 
these were a couple of Texas boys that just loved what they were producing, what they were performing. These guys always had smiles on their faces, even when they were playing, like Phil would be off there raging and screaming and kicking people and doing whatever he does. And you'd look at Vinnie Paul and he'd just have this massive smile on his face. You look at Dimebag and he's just having a great time. It was part of what I loved about Pantera was this dynamic between the two brothers. The third member is Rex Brown. Great bass player, important member of this band. He he went on to be a member of the band Down uh, after this. Um, and, you know, uh, important contributions. The rhythm section of this group is very critical in creating that big, fat, ugly, dirty sound at times. And, and Rex was a key piece of it. The last member, uh, at least on this record, is uh, Phil Anselmo. And, uh, you know, clearly... Um, Phil's appearance in the band uh, took the band to a new level, um, no pun intended, and was incredibly important. Phil also created some complexity within the group as far as personalities and dynamics and addiction. And, you know, Phil was a difficult guy and probably still is. <laughs> you know, I, I think everyone grows up a little bit and everyone sort of gets out of the rock and roll phase in their later years. But I've even seen Phil do recent interviews and, and boy, he just seems like a, a complicated guy. And certainly um, while the band saw tremendous success uh, with Phil's arrival, I think it also saw some turmoil, which eventually led to the band's demise. So an important person in this band, but also one that I think brought some complexity now. Yeah, no doubt about it. And uh, the the last album before Cowboys from Hell, it, it was called Power Metal, which is like hilarious. Yes, album it, title. Did, it did, and it is funny, and the and the album cover is funny too. Well, that's what I was gonna say. So if you if you look at the cover for that, you know, it's got the four guys, the original lineup, which lasted all the way until the group, you know, disbanded, and every guy looks totally different from the way they would have looked two years later, except Vinnie Paul. <laughs> Vinnie Paul sort of looks the exact same, you know, and it, Vinnie Paul always had that just rock and roller kind of dude. And, and, and you were, uh, you were dead on when you kind of talk about the vibe of these four guys, you know, Vinnie Paul and Dimebag, very lighthearted, fun, loved what they did, brought like positive energy to Pantera. And Phil was definitely the dark passenger. You know, he was kind of the guy that you could tell some of the things that he was expressing through his art were very real, maybe too real. And it gave the band this interesting dichotomy between this sort of fun, up-tempo metal thing that was going on with you know the brothers and then Phil bringing this very dark, almost mysterious, mm-hmm. maybe oh, I would say as a kid, even a little scary. You know, that was part of Pantera's appeal was... Like I said earlier, they're stunning. They were a little scary. They were intimidating. But yeah, I think you nailed it with Phil. You know, he he brought something that made Pantera what it was, but I think it probably also led to its decline and eventual demise. Um, Very, very complex. I, I would say very difficult person. At least that's what it seems like from the outside. Things, you know, obviously most people know things came to a extremely sad end for the, the Pantera family when um, 
post Pantera's breakup, uh, Daryl and Vinnie Paul formed a band called Damage Plan. And uh, Damage Plan was playing a show in Columbus, Ohio. And this was in December of 2004. And a, uh, an attendee at the show uh, jumped on stage and uh, killed Dimebag Daryl, as well as uh, some other members of the Damage Plan crew. Um, some security people. And I mean, it's just a, just a horrid scene and just a really, really terrible day for, um, metal music and rock and roll music. And, you know, the, the things that people say about Dimebag Daryl, as far as his personality and his zest for living and touring and playing music. And it's just incredibly sad to, uh, have something like that come to an end. Apparently this was a, uh, you know, schizophrenic, you know, mentally disturbed person who, you know, had kind of a, some sort of vengeance toward, uh, these band members and, uh, just a horrible situation. And one that, uh, you know, even to this day just makes me incredibly sad. Um, you know, considering, um, you know, musically what these guys could have continued to do even under different monikers and with different lineups, but more importantly, just the attitude that, uh, that, that Daryl brought to the music scene and to the metal music scene is just, uh, really, really will always be very difficult to, um, replicate. Yeah. It, it is, it has shadows of John Lennon and just in how sad and tragic it was And to many metal fans. They might consider it to be on that level. And just an example of, lives that were just taken just significantly before they were supposed to because of like crazed fans, you know, because of their role as public figures much more than their role as creators of music. And it's, it's devastating because he was just doing what he, what he loves, but what comes with that is notoriety. And what comes with that could be really incredibly unfortunate situations. And it, it's always one that to your point will always just be sad. You know, you, you can't, it's not one that you just get over as a music fan more because of circumstances than anything else. But um, certainly he was seen as one of the greats, you know, without question and damage plan was gaining ground as a band. And um, yeah, it's, it's, it's incredibly tragic, but you know, if, for, for those of us that like Pantera though, you know, you, you've, you've got the music to keep the memory alive and that makes tonight's episode um, important as well, because it, it does help keep the memory going of not just this band, but of obviously one of the key musicians behind it. Yeah, it does always help. And, you know, his brother Vinny died uh, just a couple of years ago um, of a heart attack, pretty young age, um, which is also sad. But, uh, you know, the, the one thing I'm, I'm going to mention this now, because I want to keep my wondrous stories on, on more of the happy tone, but you know, the, the fact that, you know, Vinny was behind the drums, you know, for damage plan basically had to watch his brother get, uh, you know, killed on stage during a performance, just a normal show in Ohio. And, you know, next thing you know, you've got mass chaos on the stage and you're watching your brother get killed. That, that really effed me up to the point where and I, was, I, I remember, I, uh, I don't know if you remember this, but I watched the Pantera behind the music. Uh, this is few, this is like 10 years ago or something. And I just started like bawling, you know, and because that brother connection, it was like a, it, it was like, Oh my God, this guy, like they're performing and this happened right in front of him. And 
I, and I don't know if you remember, but I called you and I was like, man, just, just wanted to let you know, like, I just love you. And you know, I did the whole thing, but, uh, but yeah, that, that really, I, I kind of always wish I never would have watched that behind the music. Yeah. It just turned me into a complete wreck. But, uh, well, let's also you know. not forget to you that, that, the you and I had both been to that venue. I mean, I've been there many times. It hit close to home because absolutely El Rosa Villa, that's right outside that venue is where I met Peter Steele from Typo Negative. You and I saw King's X there. I went to some other shows there. Also being able to know, to empathize with people who were standing there at this really cool little metal venue in Columbus and um, the empathy of, of people experiencing what happened, it, it will always hit close to home for that reason too. So yeah, there's a lot of different interesting connections for you and I on that one. And, and again, that's why, that's why I'm celebrating the album uh, will be an enjoyable experience and a nice tribute. Well, Nubs, just for the record, I love you, buddy. All right. I love you too, man. (laughs) (laughs) The title of this was taken from The Exorcist, which I didn't know until researching this, but you kind of touched on it earlier, a very uh, interesting uh, album cover. I'm going to get on a a little bit in the wonder stories here, but... uh, Wait a minute, real quick, just because you said it, when... Oh yeah, little tubular. Hey, by the way, it's silly me. What I should be doing is plugging our previous tubular bells episode. Cross promotion. That's right. If you didn't hear episode whatever it was, twelve or whatever, on tubular bells. Speaking of the Exorcist, why don't you go back after this one, listen to it. It'll make you smile. Let's get to the wonder stories. Nubs, how did you discover and perhaps get frightened slightly by Pantera? (laughs) There were some inadvertent initial discoveries, and that has to do with certain theme music on MTV. Headbangers Ball, if I remember right, used a Pantera riff for its intro music. I think it was from one of the songs that we'll look at. And then um, if I remember too, and we'll we'll have to coordinate how we're going to uh, you know, refer to this song, but effing hostile. I remember hearing that riff as used in MTV spots as well. So that was kind of the inadvertent introduction. And then walk certainly became, you know, I don't know if hits the right word, but walk became familiar. I remember it would be played between bands a lot at shows. You know, it's, it's still one of the great, like, band is about to come out songs you know i've been yeah (laughs) i've been to many metal shows where walk is one of the last couple songs that's played over the loudspeakers before a band comes out and the crowd goes nuts every time it's played but my first actual like oh this is pantera and what sort of hooked me in was actually the song this love which we'll talk about and what caught me on that is like just it's complete contradiction right as this ultra heavy scary band kicking a song off with this really quite beautiful melody. And then of course, losing their minds during the chorus. But this love was sort of the moment where I thought, Ooh, this band is different. And a lot of it is you. I mean, you really got into this band. You kind of took them on with Cowboys from hell and this album and you know, kind of all those things contributed to it. Never became a band. That I listened to a ton and I really didn't get into the albums that came out after this one. You know, the, I think it was the great Southern trend kill. and. Um, 
God, what was the other one called? I can't remember, but there, there were two albums. I think that came uh, far beyond driven, far beyond driven. Yeah, that's right. Which I think was pretty acclaimed, but I, yeah, I never really, Oh, it was much. extremely popular. I, I think yeah. that actually, that may have made it to number one on billboard or way up there on the charts. I mean, it was a, you know, that would have been their, I guess that would have been their third album quote by most uh, many Pantera fans standpoint. Yeah. And yeah, that was a very anticipated and ended up being a really good record. Yeah. I've heard good things and maybe I'll have to rediscover those, but you know, by the early two thousands, when this band broke up, I was already moving on to some other metal things. We previously mentioned Slipknot, Iowa came out in 2001. So I was sort of already head deep into Slipknot and, and system of a down and some of these other bands that were really attractive to me more than Pantera. And of course they broke up. So then, you know, quickly became an afterthought. It was almost Dimebag's death that sort of revitalized Pantera as a thing. And so, you know, that's, that's sort of my exploration. It's a little loose, but um, it was a nice opportunity to revisit this album and and see the strengths and weaknesses of it. So it's my wonder story to you. What, uh, what's yours? I, 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 I purposely didn't mention us seeing Pantera. I'm just being fully transparent with our audience as we always are. I what purposely was, didn't mention that because I think you will. Was that the only time you saw them? It was. Yeah. Yeah. Same yeah. for me. So yeah. I'll finish the story that I sort of started, you know, I teased a little bit earlier. I distinctly remember speaking of groove metal and I don't know if you remember this because this is a long time ago, but it was the same day. So on the typo negative episode, we talked about the Ozfest, where we went and saw typo negative for the first time on October rust. And I mean, that for me, like I was just so thrilled to go see Typo, like, and I was excited to see Ozzy too, but like that was worth the trip for me. The rest of it was kind of gravy, you know? And I remember saying, oh, Pantera's on the bill. That'll be interesting. You know, Ozzy was on the bill or some other good bands. But when we walked up to the Ozfest, it was, I think, one or two bands before Typo. And I remember kind of being like, wow, I never heard anything like that before. Like, geez, this is like a whole different deal. And it was a band called Machine Head. And they played at least three or four bands before Pantera. I remember really digging this. It was like, oh my God, it was different, new sound, totally, totally, totally new sound from what you've heard before. And I remember they got done and you and I and a buddy were talking about them. And I distinctly remember saying, I've never heard such groove in a metal band. So listen, not saying for sure that I coined the phrase groove metal, but <laughs> ah, there's a chance. Eh, think it might have. <laughs> think it might happen. I think someone heard me and ran with it. I do remember though, you're both of us, but again, you were, you know, I've always talked about some of the bands and genres and artists that I'm a little finicky with. And uh, I would say metal, you, you know, is you're a little bit picky with your metal. This is one band that you and I, I think have always followed since, you know, I've bought every machine head record since thoroughly enjoyed pretty much all of them. And was it right after them? Was it cold chamber that played right. and they remember. did their 25 minute version of loco. <laughs> and it made Machine Head look really good. If I remember yeah. right, that was all the same lineup the same day. The, the, there were a few other acts that day that made Machine Head look really good. But <laughs> yeah. um, but I'll tell you who else looked really good was Pantera. And, um, you know, they were a couple, I think there were a couple bands after Machine Head. And 
And I was excited. I mean, I, I wasn't that into Pantera at that particular moment. Um, and certainly, you know, hadn't seen them live before that, never saw them live after that, but was very curious and kind of nervous. I mean, they're, they're, they are definitely an intimidating force. And even when they first came out, it was kind of like, you almost felt a little bit of adrenaline, you know, and that's, that's unique at a show. That's what I love about metal shows is you get this kind of, uh, almost like gloriously frightened kind of deal on the deal there. And they came out and I mean, they were so tight. That's what I remember. It was like, these guys are not just out here thrashing around. I mean, they are, they are locked in. They are tight. Dimebag can really play his guitar tone. That high gain was amazing. And, you know, Phil was great too. Now, you know, he stomped around a little and he was pissed off and he was riled up and he was, you know, doing his thing. And it was so authentic. You know, it wasn't like a, a show. Like you could tell, it was like, wow, this guy's, this is really how he goes about things. But it, it made the performance really authentic. And the first thing I did when, when we, uh, left the show. I went to the record store the next day and I bought their live album. Uh, and that was really, Oh, you know, that's, that's gotta be part of your wonder story. You love that live album. Yeah. That yeah. was really what got me into it. In fact, I owned the live album before I owned any of the studio albums. So before Cowboys from Hell, Vulgar, Vulgar Display or, you know, Far Beyond Driven, um, I own that. And it's a great live capturing of the guys. It really is. And, um, and I got hooked on that and it was a, a really nice, you know, covering of their first three records. You know, it covered, um, well, I, I keep saying first three, but you know, the three of, of this, uh, <laughs> the three that people cared about. Yeah. Right. 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 The, the Phil era, I guess. But, um, you know, it really covers that nicely. It's a, it's a well-produced live record. It's, it's good stuff. Um, so that was really what looped me. And now I got to talk about the the cover of tonight's album a little bit because before I even knew who Pantera was, I remember walking into Repeat the Beat one day. That was our little record store in old Plymouth, Michigan. And I remember seeing this cover. And for, you know, for those of you that don't know it or haven't seen it, it's like this sort of black and white uh, action picture of this guy just getting like decked, just punched in the face. It's like a still shot of like mid punch. You can almost see like the skin flapping, you know, it's one of those deals. And I, this cover like fascinated me at age 12 because I, I was like very, uh, I don't know, like disturbing and cool and weird. And, and I like always wanted to buy the album just because I thought the punch in the face cover was, was kind of funny. Now it turns out it really wasn't, uh, you know, a, a real uh, sock to the face. It really wasn't a real knuckle sandwich. It was a model, you know, and they were able to kind of use some still camera photography and tricks to make it look cool. So, so, you know, nubs have no fear, you know, nobody got uh, cold cocked for real in the making of this record, at least during the cover shoot, you know, but uh, yeah, I, I always, uh, I don't know, man, I was <laughs> kind of like, was like, found that cover to be eerie at age 12, almost to the point where I wanted to buy it just to have it, you know? You know, I, I could just speak for myself. I mean, you mentioned almost being nervous before Pantera. I, I agree with that. 
I was kind of a sensitive boy. <laughs> like I really was. And was? Maybe still am. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. even though I, I, what's all this was talk, <laughs> right? Yeah. You know, like love going to metal shows and metal music has always resonated with me, but like deep down, you know, like aggression and fighting and punching and like, like that's not, I don't dig that. That that's not my vibe. That's not my scene. And so there's always been this, this interesting kind of dual life thing there of this music that's, that's so aggressive and pointed towards, you know, all of those feelings and clearly Pantera embodied that in their live show. I mean, this was a live show that you were supposed to express yourself at. You were not there to stand and watch, you know, you were, you know, groove metal, right? Like you were, you were moving with the music, you were headbanging, you were, you were an active participant at a Pantera show. But that helped get that out. You know, it was just this whole experience to be at it. And it was cool to hear your reflections on it as well. Cause that was, that was a big moment for sure. Very memorable. It's a great way to put it. You were an active participant. And you know, Daryl had a lot to do with that. He was very engaging, you know, for a metal artist. I mean, he was having a good ass time up there. You know, as was Vinny. I think Rex was in his own little way too, right? So it was just this fascinating thing to watch from a group dynamic standpoint of, of Phil just projecting, I think, a lot of true anger and complication in, her, in his persona. And then you got these kind of wild, goofy Texas boys just loving it, you know, and just enjoying it. It was a very positive experience when you kind of, you know, watch those guys. And, you know, I'll always remember that. I wish I would have seen him uh, another time or two afterwards. but. But certainly uh, extremely happy that we got to see them in that format. And, you know, it was outdoors. It was a great setting and ended up being a really, really amazing OzFest. But uh, besides me, you know, coining the the term groove metal before I had even heard Pantera, which just just chalk it up to one more amazing thing I've done. You're so innovative. You're such well, a trendsetter. Well, you know, listen, I mean, I, I can't disagree with either, either of those. It all does speak to, let's, let's remind everyone. Yeah. The 2020s is the T decade. Yes. I mean, we all need to really start spending a lot more time, not thinking about ourselves, but thinking about you. Yes, that's right. I want people to stop, you know, asking questions like, what can I do for me today? Or what can I do to make myself better today? And I want them to start asking, what can I do to help T's day today? You know, what can I help to maybe make tea better today. I think that's where we need to get to. I'm going to stop thinking about me and start thinking more about you, tea. Let's put the needle on the record. All right, well, hold on to your butts here. Uh, we're about to get this thing going. We got... 11 tracks nubs you think we can you think we can make it with our like heads and limbs still attached or what do you think we will be uh sweating bullets by the end of this uh, needle drop for sure i think that's right well let's get things going here as if you weren't kind of revved up already by uh the album cover then you pop it in and go to track one and this is a uh rather memorable opener called mouth for war Yeah, you know what to say to me. Hold your mouth for the war. Use it for what is for war. Speak the truth about 
So obviously, you know, similar Terry Date production here. We didn't really touch on Terry Date, but obviously a very important uh, production influence on this record. A, a little bit cleaner, a little bit more polished production uh, than you got on Cowboys from Hell. You know, I think kind of in a good way, it's a little bit more of a trebly kind of high gain, high end album, um, which wait, you mean there's bass on it? Yeah, <laughs> I didn't, exactly. didn't even know which, which they, uh, Terry date went to the injustice for all mixing <laughs> class on this one. Yeah, exactly. But boy, it, it bashes you over the head with a bottle right away. Doesn't it? Nub? I got to tell you something, you know, yes, it, it does. But I hear two other things and, and I got to tell you, it's got nothing to do with bashing over the head and. Pantera was was very interesting in some of the musicality that they pulled out. And that chorus, that guitar riff, it actually swings. And I know that that sounds like, huh? But listen to it. It swings. You know, do, 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 do. And I'm snapping my fingers along with it. I mean, there's so many different things that you could do with that particular melody, but think boom, 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 I mean, it's doing something totally different. Yep. than what a metalhead would expect. It, it's not four on the floor, boom, 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 boom at all. You know what it's doing, Nub? What's that? It's grooving. Is that, yeah. Well, you coined it, groove metal. But yeah, but it's it's literally swinging. I mean, it is. It's got a swing melody and a swing rhythm to it. And, and that's fascinating. It's honestly, it's the first time I've ever heard that in metal. And then the other thing is the use of the triplet. So we're getting a little musical here, a little nerdy, but dot, 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 boom, do, 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 that, that's a triplet, one, two, three, and in succession with even rhythm. And that's a very underused thing in metal. You know, it might be used as a drum fill, but that rhythm that enters it back into the verse is, you know, incredibly important to the way the song flows. So I hear just much more of a loose swinging thing going on here than that tight thing that you really know Pantera for. It's a really good point. And, and by the way, speaking of drum fill, Nubs never met a drum fill. He didn't like, let's go. Oh, come track. on, come on, yeah, come on. Sorry, I'm sorry. Let's, <laughs> let's go to track two. This is one that Nubs mentioned uh, during the wonder stories, the uh, theme from headbangers ball uh, with track two, a new level. You know, one of the things that uh, it's always great about Pantera is their ability to shift tempo. Um, and actually, they were pretty crafty. I mean, dare I say it, proggy at times with time signatures and off sure. and some yeah. of those type of things. But it was always tight. It was always very, very locked in. It's, you know, I, I kind of sometimes make the comparison in my head, at least between Pantera and Leonard Skinner in, in, in this way, they're bands with a ton of feel and a ton of sort of charm and soul to their sound. I mean, when I hear this, I do hear some Texas, just like when I hear, listen to Leonard Skinner, I hear some Mississippi, you know, it's kind of, they're sort of bringing some of those elements. I mean, the Abbott brothers, I don't know if I mentioned this, but their father was a country music producer. So you, you kind of hear some of those, you know, type of things going on, but you can tell that, and, and this is where I make the main comparison that this is a band that worked really hard. And, and I've always considered Leonard Skinner, one of the more 
like one of the hardest working bands as far as just cutting their teeth and practicing and rehearsing. And you could hear it in their tightness when they played. I think that's similar to Pantera. If I had to guess, these guys probably had a vigorous, you know, practice and rehearsal schedule. And you can tell by the tightness you hear, not just on these records, but certainly when you saw them live. And a new level is just a a really clever way to have a lot of different shifting directions, a lot of different shifting movements, some that are kind of smoothed out, some that are real choppy and heavy. Um, And they make it all work in a way that you can tell they really work through these songs to make sure that the rhythm section, particularly the drums, and Vinny really brings it here, we're all really locked in. So what do you think of this one? I really like the comparison. You know, the band that I hear a lot is ZZ Top. These guys must have listened to a ton of, and I'm not talking about legs. I'm talking about real ZZ Top. Yeah. And that's a band that I got into actually over the pandemic. I bought these vinyl box sets and ZZ Top's an incredible band, really tight, but really loose. Everything's coordinated. Amazing use of the cut time and the double time back into the cut time, back into the double time. And this song perfectly crafts that. And that, that really became a metal motif that I think Pantera were hugely influential with is that, you know, cut it in half and then open it up and then double time it and then go back to the cut in half. And, you know, all those rhythmic kind of tricks of the trade that all these bands have copied since really came from Pantera. And this song is probably the band's best example of that, you know, just in terms of the adventurousness rhythmically. So yeah, this is, it gets off uh, what an amazing one, two punch really the first side of this record is just off the charts. Incredible. And this song is an important part of that for sure. Well, and what it leads to would obviously become one of the uh, most well-known and most renowned and probably the most destroy each other in the mosh pitted ever songs uh, of the nineties uh, era. And perhaps of kind of metal as a whole, when you look at uh, some of those memorable jams and you get that here with walk. I mean, it's an iconic riff, right? And, and you know, you mentioned it during, uh, I think this was the one you mentioned as far as pre-show that you heard a lot, right? Um, it's just a song that um, I think even non-metal fans love to an extent. Um, it was a big, I mean, it was a big song. It was a big one. And, and really, I think is the tune that probably drew a lot of people in that weren't quite jumping on board yet during Cowboys from Hell but got in during vulgar display walk was probably a lot of that entry point for people into Pantera from more of a mainstream standpoint, but this was a big song and obviously an iconic riff. It's a song that will last forever. And, and part of the reason for that is it, it, it truly is a pop song. It really is. It's got this repetitive riff. The vocal line is very catchy. You know, you don't think catchy when you think Pantera, but it, this is a pop song, no doubt about it. But again, the main riff, it's got, a, it's got a swing to it. It's got a liveliness to it that's so unique. You know, it's, it's, it's not as simple as it sounds at all. I mean, if you don't believe me, try playing this riff. You know, it, it's, it, it's unnatural what your hand wants to do versus what really is going on here. And so, um, yeah, it, it's, it's like a lot of great pop songs, you know, and the surface, it's simple, but you look further into it and it gets more complex from a composition perspective. 
but this song gets everybody fired up every time they hear it. This is a great, like if the night's getting dull, put it on and everyone just starts going crazy type of thing. You know, great pre-show song. Like we said, Well, yeah, but then you start punching holes in the wall and right, yeah. breaking dishes and things. So I, maybe it's, maybe it's not ideal, but, but I, I, I get your point. Right. Yeah. 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 Good point. But yeah, tr- truly a song that'll live forever. You also don't really expect catchiness from a song called fucking hostile, but get a load of this one. You got some poppiness here too in track four. That's catchy. That's catchy, Nub. <laughs> little bit, little bit. You know, it was, it was before I sort of realized that you can put distortion on vocals. I know that sounds weird, but you know, this album came out, we were pretty young still. And I remember thinking, God, that guy can really yell in a really fuzzy <laughs> way. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like, wow. How does his voice do I, that? The magic of the song clearly is the chorus. You know, to see, and you're right. It's catchy. And, uh, almost poppy, you know, but the cool part about this one is, is those really melodic choruses are sandwiched with these, you know, it's speed metal. I mean, that's essentially what Pantera is exploring here. It almost sounds more like Slayer than anything else with that kind of hiccuping, you know, galloping drum beat. And of course, you know, Dimebag's guitar is just so, it's so tight. I always wondered, do they produce the choppiness of that sound? Or is that just him doing that with his hands? Because you know, this is before digital recording, but there would still be maybe some studio tricks you could use to create that stop, start, stop, start guitar tone. I think a lot of it was just him. I think this was his tone. Well, he, I mean, he clearly knew how to play, but he used a scoop effect that was just like tremendous. I mean, there is absolutely no middle uh, frequency in that guitar. I mean, it's all low end bass and it's all really really high end treble working together now you got to play a certain way to make that sound good um and certainly there are production techniques but even live i mean he was you know scooping the shit out of those guitars and they sounded great you know so you've got to use a lot of palm you got to use a lot of um pinch harmonics you know there are a lot of things you have to do to kind of make that work and pull it off so yeah i think a lot of it had to do with playing but man that that scoop effect that dimebag kind of became uh, famous for was really strong. So no, what do you say we slow things down a little bit here, huh? I think it's time for. Uh, <laughs> do you, do you even use the word ballad with Pantera? <laughs> no, there are two songs on here where it's like you want to use the word ballad, but can you? I don't know. Well, here we go, ballad or not, with track five, this love. So, I mean, clearly this is one, I remember when they played it live, like everyone just completely lost their minds, but I I always thought it was kind of funny how like no one ever really knew what to yell in between love. Dude, that's so true. You know, that's like, like, yeah. like everyone wanted to, to, to like pump their fist and yell something, but nobody really kind of knew like exactly what to say. Um, so I, I don't know, man, I was thinking maybe, I don't know if you want to, 
uh, like maybe I could do the love and you could do the other part and we could get your rendition of. Yeah. Do you, you want me to be the crowd? So you're going to be Phil yeah. and I'll be the crowd. Yeah. Why don't you be the, okay. the, the echo part and I'll, you know, and then we'll switch, but. Okay, uh, cool. And then we have to go through the rest of the show really quickly. Cause I'm going to lose my voice. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 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 Uh, but you know, let's, I don't know that. I mean, Pantera karaoke. Oh, we got, we actually have music. Okay. Are you ready? Yeah. Oh yeah. All right, here we go. You keep this love first. Love. Darn. Love. Darn. So as you go off now, cough and you know, yeah, and yeah. Uh, So there's there's a bit of a delay, which kind of makes it even funnier. Um, Why don't we run that again? Oh boy. Okay. Okay. Here we go. You keep this love first. Love. Burn, 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 burn. I don't know what that last thing was. No, I does. <laughs> All right, let me try. Let's give it a go here. Okay, here we go. Okay, you gonna give it, give it a go here? Yeah, I'm gonna give it a go. All right, All right now I'm filling. You're the crowd. Okay, here we go. You took this love. Dude, what did you become beaker there from the yeah, that's like a Swedish chef. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it was like a mix between Swedish chef and beaker. I don't know, like bork, like, bork. I know Phil's trying to be like all angry during it, but sometimes I just hear like bark, chor, <laughs> dorp, yorp. It's like anything ORP. Dorp. Borp. Gorp. <laughs> you know. If he had any sense of humor, which by all accounts, it doesn't seem like it, he would have cracked up at some point in the studio recording this song. But Well, are you kidding? If he heard what I just said about him, he'd probably punch me in the face just like that album cover. Absolutely. Yeah. You'd look like, you'd look like the dude on the, on the album cover. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Absolutely no would. Yeah. Well, you know, all in all, Nub's uh, thoughts on, on this love, obviously, I mean, you had Cemetery Gates on the previous record, which kind of did this, you know, quiet thing that sort of evolved into a, uh, you know, a pretty powerful heavy riff. This one, even more so, kind of takes you into this uh, fist pumper. So what, what do you think of this love, at which I believe rounds outside one? Well, yeah, it was an important song. Uh, it was the moment where I realized Pantera was something quite different, and, and which was a little short-sighted because really all of these songs we looked at so far reveal a group that's very, very unique against its peers. But this love gave the album a, a real dynamic to it, you know, just with this sort of dreamy, you know, almost, I mean, this is a version of a love song, which is hilarious. I wonder if like heavy metal couples, you know, cause they're all out there, right? I mean, there's such thing as like a metal couple. Would this be like their wedding song that they dance to, you know, like just think about like a couple, like, Full of tattoos and long hair and stuff out like slow dancing to the chorus of this love, you know, yeah, they, got, they got tattoos and everything. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, you know, I could, I could see it happening. I could see it happening. I don't think it's aged as well as the rest of side one, to be honest with you. You know, it was a little more impressive in 1993 than it is now. And that yeah. probably has a lot to do with what's come out since, but at its time, this was a pretty remarkable song for sure. And a very important part of 
a tremendous side one for this record. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I, I think Cemetery Gates has certainly held up better in terms of showing their dynamic ability uh, during a single song, you know, which this one obviously does well, but, but I, I agree with you. It's uh, now it's more of a, it's more anthemic and maybe a little bit more gimmicky. Um, but you know, at the time it was uh, the type of thing that you weren't hear a lot of other metal bands, or I guess in this case, groove metal bands doing, this is kind of almost like their speed core offering here with uh, track six to kick off side two rise. So it kind of takes you into a real, real up-tempo, again, almost speedcore, grindcore kind of, uh, you know, uh, section from there on out. I do love what he does that, ooh, you know, when it comes in. Nice groove, nice polish. It's got uh, a pretty straightforward riff. Uh, good work by Vinnie Paul, I think, on, on kind of driving the thing. And then it does take you into something that's a little bit more chaotic. You know, I think Rise is okay. It's a little bit... Uh, you know, it lacks a little bit of the direction uh, that you got, I think, from uh, side one to that point. But, you know, again, a good mix of dynamics, a good mix of tempos and in kind of a good mix of multiple genres within a single song, which a lot of the tunes on Vulgar Display do pretty well. Good call on Vinnie Paul, you know, can't be overlooked as a signature part of the Pantera sound. And it's good. this song's a good showcase for his tight playing. I just love the do-do-do-do-do-do. Dude, like that rhythm has always worked. And think about how many times that's been replicated, right? Like I think of helmet in the meantime, you know, do, 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 do. It's just this, like, yep, this metal staple and Pantera sort of jumping in with their own interpretation of it. So it's something that always kind of works. It just chugs along. So yeah, it's a fine track. Keep it going here with track seven. This is no good. All right, cue the Pantera invented rap rock uh, yeah. comments here. You know? yeah, yeah. Well, you know, the, you know, I think this is a song that kind of pulls a lot together. You know, it wasn't, I don't know that it's a big Pantera fan favorite, but I do think that there, again, there are multiple elements here that are kind of all wrapped up into one underneath one bow and they're making it all work. And, and I like hearing all Rexy there uh, giving you a little bass groove. So, uh, yeah, it probably gets a little overcooked for the talking section or the rapping section, if you will. I, I would guess, you know, yeah. I've never really heard this cited, but to, you know, there, there's good talking sections within rock and metal and there's not as good. And I would probably put this in the latter. For me, it it kind of is more of a distraction than anything that's cool. But again, you you do see the band's rhythmic prowess on full display and, and that's a good thing. Yeah, I agree with that. Sometimes that talky thing is cool. And sometimes it's like, all right, dude, could you just not come up with a vocal line or what? Right. Let's go. Uh, let's go to track eight here and live in a hole.
Nub, what I like about Live in a Hole, and, and this you know goes along with a lot of the things we've been saying about this band, is I liked when they had fun. You know, and, and it, it could get dark and it could get dreary and it could get, you know, like any other metal outfit who has some drive and has some emotion behind what they're doing. And that's all good. That made them who they are. But I liked when these guys got a little rowdy, had a little fun. You know, you didn't hear them playing in major keys very often, but live in a hole, I think is uh, probably I can imagine, you know, Dimebag and Vinny kind of jamming it out together, like having a good time with something that's a little bluesy, you know, has a little bit of that, uh, you know, kind of riff, sing, riff thing going on. Um, that's a little bit more traditional, but I, I hear the band kind of having a good time here. It's probably my only criticism of the Pantera sound is it just didn't get melodic enough. It didn't explore the brightness enough. And, th- and that's the thing that you see in modern metal. That's sort of what, again, dumbest term ever, but new metal sort of did. It said, hey, metal bands can create choruses that are in major keys and do some things that are a little bit brighter. And, and Pantera did seem to rely heavily on just that crunch and some of those elements. But yeah, that, that is what's cool about a track like this is you get to hear kind of that side of it. And I agree with you, the more of the fun. And, and that's what'll be interesting about, uh, you know, I'm going to try and go back and rediscover those last couple albums that they made and see if there's a little bit more of those elements in it. Because different eras too, you know, they were they were going to be responsive to their particular era and what was going on in music at every step of the way, just like any band would be. So yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to checking those out and see if there's a little bit more of this. Cause I agree. It's a style that, that works when they do it. Getting toward the end here. Let's go to track nine. This is called regular people conceit. So this, uh, I think this is the Dimebag special. I mean, he rips a solo later in this song that is just insane. I can't decide if regular people or Mouth for War has the best solo, but I mean, they're both just absolute vintage Dimebag. If you're into any of his guitar work, you know, this jam uh, certainly puts him on display. It always makes me laugh when there's like a song title and then a parentheses that has like nothing to do with the, uh, what preceded it. Right. Yeah. It's like yeah. regular people conceit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like, like what's going on there? Um, but, <laughs> but a real showcase here of, of, of Dimebag's playing and that, that solo toward the end is a ripper. And thankfully it is. Cause frankly, it's sort of a, a dud song outside of that. It, it's sort of salvaged by you're right. And, and absolutely, you know, outstanding guitar solo from Dimebag that concludes it. So yeah, but getting there is a little tedious. I mean, you do feel like there's a little water being tread at this point near the end of the album. It, it, I would love to, to wonder about the sequence of the album. Remember, we're in the compact disc era when this came out. And they sure did front load the first half of the album with a lot of the really appealing tracks. And the second half does seem to have compositions that, to me, just don't feel quite as thoughtful. And this is a good example. Well, we've got a... Uh an absolute head basher Pantera favorite. And then do we call the last one a ballad? I'm not sure. I guess we'll decide when we get there. But I, I first, think it's straight prog, man. That's what I thought. When I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Of course you do. But first we will plow through track 10, 
by demons be driven. Now, I, I know it probably wasn't the most famous, certainly, and it wasn't a hit. Um, I, you know, it, it's not the song you think of when you think of this record because you've got Walk and you've got This Love and you've got, you know, other more well-known favorites. But Nub by Demons Be Driven, I think might be the best song on here. So without question, you know, this is a great example of the band getting back into that exploration mode that we saw a lot of inside one. And it starts to bring the album to a conclusion that really shows the musicality again. You know, after a few songs that didn't quite achieve that purpose, this really does get you refocused on just how good this band was at piecing together different elements, different dynamics, different types of sounds. It's a very, very musical piece. And I, I agree with you. For me, it's, it's easily one of the top three songs on the album. You got to get there, right? You got to get through that second side to get to the conclusion. Because I think the last couple of songs on it are just really you know, excellent uh, showcases for this unique band. And so, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's an important song on the album and without question is one of the best uh, on it for sure. Yeah, I think it's really good. It might be Phil's best vocal performance on the whole record as well. All right. Well, let's close it up here with Nub says it's a prog piece. Some people think it's a ballad. What do you think of Hollow? Are those keyboard overdubs I hear? I don't know. I think it's guitar, but it, it sure sounds a little bit like keyboard overdubs. Kind of sounds like Emerson, Lake, and Palmer, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Dude, Hollow is amazing. Don't you think? I, yeah. I just, I love this track. It, yeah. Perfect closing track. And I mean, they are just letting it go on this one, right? Oh, yeah. I, I agree. I, I think it's a, it's a really, you know, these guys always had a way of, and, and to your point about side two, you know, they always had a way of just when you thought they were just getting thoughtless and just getting too rugged and, and too uh, metal sort of formulaic and just, you know, making noise for the sake of it and all those type of things, they'd remind you, you know, and, and they did that. I think they did that in sequencing a lot. And boy, by Demons Be Driven and Hollow, after what is a, a pretty subpar side two to that point? wraps this thing up with those last two tracks really nicely. And, you know, to your point in very thoughtful, creative form where they're producing something that's, you know, well beyond just putting a groove beat and putting some chop over it and having Phil yell and scream. There's stuff going on in these last two tracks. That's very, very good. Yeah. Back to the adventurous spirit that the album began with, you know, stops and starts and cool little interludes. And just again, Showing off the talent, you know, because 
this band was at its best when they were showing how skilled they each were at their respective instruments and crafts. And at their worst, when they were kind of trying to be like any other band out there. And Hollow's a great example of just, you know, nobody else at the time was putting together anything like this. An ideal closing track, very thoughtful, very smart to make this be the conclusion of vulgar display of power. It was a vulgar display, wasn't it? That we were talking about, you know, how do you feel right now? You feel exhausted? Yeah, I, I, I think I need a nap. Um, <laughs> yeah. But I generally do around this time of day. Right. Yeah, it's no different from any other day. Well, that's a wrap on 1992's vulgar display of power. Nubs, did it matter? Yeah, it did. I, I think uh, Cowboys from Hell and vulgar display of power both mattered. You might be able to make a strong argument that Cowboys from Hell mattered more just because it came out before. And Pantera experienced the success of that album, which gave them the confidence to make this one. So out of the two big ones, as we've talked about, I would say Cowboys mattered more, but this is a better album, in my opinion. It's, it's, it's you know, just from a musical perspective, a composition perspective, a chance-taking perspective, I think this one is superior. What do you think, T? Does it matter for you? You know, I, uh, it's a little bit of a sandwich record, honestly, because Cowboys from Hell that preceded it is sort of deemed this classic, you know, this groove metal, uh, thrash metal classic, and it should be. The album after it, Far Beyond Driven, was kind of where thrash groove metal really went commercial. That was a huge selling record and a very anticipated record. You know, that doesn't happen without vulgar display. But I think this one's raw. I think it's, you know, the thing I like about it is they could have made Cowboys from Hell and then they could have kind of said, well, you know, let's just see how commercial we can continue to become. And some Pantera fans would argue that that actually happened after this. I think it's Pantera at its last sort of just truly raw moment. And I think that the whole album is an experience in that way, from the cover of the guy getting punched to the F-bombs contained within a, a song titles to, you know, the overall just attitude of this record. It was kind of like, the band saying, you know, hey, I know we had a successful record with Cowboys from Hell, but we're not ready to become critical and commercial darlings just yet. And, and we've got some more sort of rawness to portray out there. And again, it's always done with a little bit of a touch of, of fun, which I always loved about this band. Um, but this one to me just is a is, is it acts like a sophomore album of one that really kind of kept the band grounded. I think it's a great one to revisit to really see the band at its true kind of rawest form. And for that, I think it's a, you know, it's certainly a, an important, I don't know if it's as much of a classic as Cowboys from Hell in, in the kind of viewpoint of many, but I think it's got to be right up there with the kind of early 90s metal uh, scene as far as a really important record during that time and if you look at the entire metal certainly the groove thrash metal catalog uh, as a whole vulgar display has got to fit very nicely into that as something that was pretty important well let's bring the final cut nubs what do you got here on this one are you putting it on z turntable are you putting it in the collection are you collecting dust on it because, you know, it's just kind of sitting there for a long time and that's what happens. Or 
are you putting this bad boy in the for sale bin, taking it to the record store, bartering with the shop owner, getting some money, and probably buying something to replace it with? What do you got, Nub? Good description of the final cut there. I like that. That was, that was nice. I've got this album, Collecting Dust, and I think this and Cowboys from Hell are both essentials of a collection. I think they should be owned. But let's put it this way. If you listen to this album regularly or every day, top to bottom, you, you know, you might want to go get a little help. You know, it, it's one of those records that can stir anybody into a frenzy. And it's a little bit of a, oh, should we say periodic taste? You know, if you're listening to too much Pantera, it might not be good for the soul. If you're not listening to it at all, it might not be good for the soul. So I think, you know, it's kind of a moderation album. You should own it. You should always have the chance to take it out and play it. But for me, it is collecting dust just because of there's other metal music that's come out since and probably to an extent, some stuff that came out before that would be a little bit more turntable ready for me than this album. But, but I'm very interested to see your final cut T. Where do you got it? I've got it collecting dust as well. And you know, the back half, it just isn't a great side. It really does end well. You know, uh, Demons Be Driven and Hollow are a great way to wrap it up. And listen, I mean, you got some classics early on. I, you know, it's one that I actually thought for a hot second about putting in the for sale bin. Um, because, you know, some of it holds up well, some of it doesn't. But I do think it has importance. Uh, and I do think that, you know, if you're going to be kind of a metal historian, you know, I think this one's pretty important, which for me kind of frankly edged it into the collecting dust territory. Um, so, you know, thought for a second about that, but I think there's too much importance and frankly too many good cuts. I mean, there really are good cuts and it really is a fantastic side. A so, uh, so I'm going to put it collecting dust. Well, Nub, why don't we cool her down since we're all riled up, you know, we're, we're all, we're all sweaty and our hearts are pounding and you know, we're a, we got some bumps and bruises and, you know, we're all greased up and just, you know, we've been in the mosh pit for a long time. So I know, you know, I got the, I got the long hair on top of the shaved head underneath and the long hairs whipping around and sweaty and wet. And yeah, exactly. Yeah, And your wallet chain broke in the mosh pit. I mean, it's just a whole thing. So it's a whole scene. It's a whole scene. Why don't we just bring her down a little bit with a little bit of. Let's just go one time. Nice and soothing on that nub. What's in your head, buddy? Should should we use our NPR voices for this? (laughs) Well, my first song is. Yeah. So uh, In Your Head for me begins with a little song called Stone by a band called Adam Again. Yes. Great one. Of course, the great Gene Eugene leading this group. And uh, boy, what an awesome album opener Stone is. And a song that I know means a lot to you as well. So that would be first. Second would be another album opener, which would be the song Heavy from Collective Soul off of I believe it's 1999's Dosage, easily my favorite Collective Soul album. I don't know how it could not be everyone's favorite Collective Soul album. It's really fantastic. And uh, Heavy, the nice opener, pretty aptly named, I would say. And then lastly would be uh, the, the Mad Season song, River of Deceit, with Lane Staley on vocals, kind of his little side project that he did with Mike McCready of Pearl Jam. And this was the uh, sort of hit single off of that, kind of a mellow song. So it goes with your you know, we're mellowing the mood here late in the show. So River of Deceit by Mad Season. T, what is in your head? Very good. I, uh, I'm i going to go with uh, an Umphreys McGee tune, more recent studio song for them called Half Delayed, um, which is on their It's Me record. Uh, the second is you mentioned the Doobie Brothers earlier. So I'm just going to go with a little What a Fool Believes. You know, why not? 
Uh, and then uh, thirdly, if that's a word, thirdly, I've got uh, a little Roy Orbison doing a little You Got It, because that's just a fantastic song. I mean, come on, Jeff Lynn at his best. Baby! I mean, come on, fantastic. So that's what is in my head. New Blaze, I uh, thoroughly enjoyed uh, going through this metal classic as most would consider it with you. And uh, hey, back-to-back uh, heavy music on these last two episodes. I don't know. Maybe we're gonna, we might have to do like a classical album next week or something just to even things out. Dude, I love that idea. How about like uh, Holst the Planets or something like that? You know? <laughs> Did you say that? Because that's kind of the only classical album you and I actually know. Well, I wouldn't say our knowledge is super vast <laughs> in that area. But no, I loved it. It's a great choice. And uh you know, it, it, just look for the, you kind of plugged one of our earlier episodes earlier in the show. You know, everyone right now should end this episode and click on the see all episodes. Uh, if you're an Apple podcast or from YouTube, look at our channel and just the vastness of the albums that we've analyzed on this podcast is there's certainly something for everyone. So look back at our former episodes and uh, see if you can find something that you might like, you know, that suits your fancy. Well, that's a wrap on episode 39. And hey, you know what that means? Coming up, we got a listener Q&A. Q&A time. So we'll be back with that next week. But in the meantime, enjoy yourself. Summer's on its way. Put a smile on your face. Be happy about what you have. Not disappointed in what you don't have. And that's a wrap on this week's glorious, angry, somewhat frightening episode of Two Twins. And an album. We'll see you next week. Two twins. Well, that's about it. That's all we have. I hope it wasn't too disappointing. We will see you on tour. Until then, take it easy.